0: The depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west.
1: Gone are
0: the stains. I'm free from the bondage, free from the chains. My sins are separated as darkness from dawn. Praise God, I'm forgiven. My sins are all gone. In the depths of the sea of God forgetfulness removed as the east is from west far away from all power and principality my sins are in the depths of the sea in the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness removed from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea, my sins are in the depths of the sea.
1: your sins are in the depths of the sea amen Well that's a good one Luke chapter 2 today Luke chapter 2 Luke chapter 2 did you hear about the two silkworms in a race it ended in a tie I've been sharing what's called puns with the singles lately and uh, I've been doing that for quite a few weeks and you know, like I said to them, the last time I got steel in a calendar, I got 12 months. I wasn't originally going to get a brain transplant, but eh, then I changed my mind. <laughs> you know, I put some spare cash in an origami business, it folded. Why did the can crusher quit his job? I'll tell you why. It was so depressing. Soda pressing. I suffer from kleptomania. You might as well know that. But when it gets really bad, I take something for it. All right. Well, anyway, I like stuff like that. I don't know about you. Some of you are going, that was weird. That was really strange. That's all right. Welcome to the club. Here we are. You know, this is how it is around here, okay? a little strange, a little different, but good strange, I hope. Good different. We're here in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Tremendous passage in the Bible as we draw nigh to Christmas. And again, we are glad to call it what it is. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying happy holidays, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm sure glad we can have a merry Christmas. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's important. And boy, I'm glad that some of the companies and some of the the corporations have got on board with that more so in the last few years than they were at one point and that's a blessing we don't want to leave christ out of christmas and uh, i and i don't know about you but i, I have a thing about writing x i don't put x must. i don't want to x him out i want to put him in there and again i know it's easy sometimes x you know just like kisses and hugs or x and, and o's or whatever you know but i'll just write it out Christmas we're glad that Christ is in Christmas because without Christ there is no Christmas and so anyway Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 let's go ahead and read there a very familiar passage as again as we head toward the Christmas season notice what it says it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and the taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And so you'd go back to your birthplace, you'd go back to where you were born, and there you'd be taxed. And so nonetheless, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, if you've ever watched A Peanuts Christmas, you have that memorized by now, right? But the fact is, is that Linus got it right, didn't he? He got it figured out. And boy, I'll tell you what, we are glad today that she brought forth her firstborn son, that she did wrap him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And, you know, it's interesting, it says here, for there was no room in the end, no room for them in the end. Now, again, we're presented with the birth of Christ here, you know, and and, and we, obviously, in America are blessed. We've heard this account over and over and over again, probably. Now, unfortunately, that's changing. The terrain of our culture is changing, and the fact is, not everyone is familiar with Jesus Christ. Not everyone knows about the birth of Christ. Not everyone can tell you a little bit about his birth even that he was born in a manger or into a stable where a manger was, placed there in a manger. He really wasn't born in a manger. He was brought forth and put in a manger. I always, born in a manger, I'm like, that doesn't sound right to me. But anyway, uh, I'm sure Mary would have something to say about that. That manger did none of the work. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that baby Jesus was born and then placed in a manger. And um, basically a feeding trough. A feeding trough is what it amounts to, Okay. Uh, there was no room in the inn. And as a result, Joseph and Mary spend the evening in a stable. Now, again, they, they wrap him in swaddling clothes. And we don't have the time to address that particular issue and the significance of that fact, swaddling clothes. But they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. They laid him in that manger. Now, no, nowhere uh, here, nothing I should say here, seems, I guess, out of place. It doesn't seem out of the ordinary for the day and age to me. You say, that sounds crazy. Yeah, but today it would sound crazy. Today, of, of course, it would seem a little bit unusual. You know, somebody saying, well, you know what? I decided I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm not even going to stay home. I'm going to go to my uncle's farm, and I'm going to go to the barn, and I'm going to have birth my child in a stable. We'd go, you're out of your mind. What is your problem, dude? I mean, uh, or ma'am, whichever it might be. I mean... <laughs> If it was a dude, you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus would have a field day with that. But anyway, the fact is, is, that, is that that would be totally wrong. It would be out of the question. It would be considered to be even harmful to the child. We'd all freak out and we'd lose our minds. Because in our day and age, the time in which we lived, that would be totally and completely out of place. But it wasn't necessarily out of the ordinary for people to stay in a stable, though, in those days. I mean, the city would have been overly crowded due to the taxing. I mean, everybody's going back to where the lineage of their birth, they're going back to that city that represents them. So there they go back, and I'm sure the city streets were filled. I'm sure that every hotel, every inn, every place to stay was packed. It would be. That would be expected in that time for that particular situation. And there would have been no room. I mean, there would have been a room shortage, I'm sure. Many travelers, especially poor ones, would have been happy, I'm I'm sure, to stay uh, at least somewhere with a roof over their head. So, I guess, in and of itself, the fact that Jesus or that poor family found themselves in a stable, in and of itself, may not really be that extraordinary or out of the ordinary. But wait a second, still there are those angels... Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 2 again, but look at verse 8 this time through verse 10. Notice what it says here. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their uh, the, the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Wait a second, now all of a sudden we've got some angels involved. I mean, Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, I mean, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Was not just a matter of some ordinary situation, a poor family stuck in a stable somewhere because the rooms are all filled, which would have probably been the case, could have very likely been normal. But the fact is now we've got some angels involved here. Not only do we have some angels involved here, we've got some shepherds now. I mean, in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it goes on to say, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And, by the way, isn't it interesting that the Lord made known this known unto them? You know how He made it known to them? He sent angels. You know what angels are? Messengers. I'm going to tell you something. The only way the world will ever know about Jesus, the only way the world will ever be drawn to Christ is if there's a messenger sent. And by the way, the Bible tells us, he says, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The fact is is that he sends us as messengers so that people can find their way to Jesus, the Savior. It's always been the same. And so here these angels are in the midst of these shepherds. And he goes on to say in verse 15, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And we have our manger there. And there we are. Here's the baby now. And here's Joseph and Mary. And the, the shepherds find him. Now, wait a second. It doesn't seem like it would be out of the ordinary or extraordinary. The fact that someone is in a stable... A poor family simply have roof over their head in the midst of this taxation. It wouldn't seem extraordinary. It wouldn't seem abnormal or or over the top in any way. However, we have some angels here now. We've got some shepherds here now. And to top it all off, sometime later, not immediately, as often as you know pictured in many of the stories and the, the movies, but the fact is we have some wise men that showed up sometime later. Notice in Matthew chapter 2 now, all the way to the book of Matthew, we're going to see these wise men. Men from the east. Notice what it says here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. We drop down to chapter 2 verse 11 now. And when they were come into the house, these wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, uh, often we're, we're, we're under the impression because of, you know, the little drummer boy. You remember seeing it, right? It's a wonderful show, and he always walks kind of... I've never got that, why he isn't more fluid. But nonetheless, he, he, he's carrying his drum, and all of a sudden we have the, the wise men showing up. And there, how many wise men are there, of course? There's three wise men. Why are there three? Because there's gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, but there's nothing in the Bible that does say that, right? And there could have been 20 wise men. There could have been two wise men. There could have been... Three wise men. Four, five, six. I don't know. But the fact is, the wise men came from the east. Wonderful. They followed the star. By the way, Jesus has been born for some time. They don't even find him there in the stable anymore. But these wise men are involved now. I mean, we've got this situation that would not seem to be abnormal. It wouldn't be over the top. It wouldn't be extraordinary in any way. I mean, a poor family goes to, to the city of David. And there they find themselves in Bethlehem, I should say, uh, find themselves in Bethlehem. And they find find that there's no room in the inn because of the taxation. The rooms are all filled up. There's crowds a- along the way. And so here they find themselves in a stable and placing their child in a manger. And in and of that, of itself, that probably would have gone unnoticed by itself if there's no more to it than that but but there was more to it there's shep- there's angels and there's shepherds and there's wise men and there's <sighs> so much why all the fuss what's the big deal what's the big deal you know while i was stationed in germany We'd often stand inspections for a number of dignitaries uh, and military officers that would make their way through our barracks. Now, I, I was in what was called soot. Ketserni, which was basically a place where Hitler himself stayed. And it was not far from a big field where uh, they would uh, do those. If you've seen pictures of of, of, of the, the Third Reich and all their troops, you know, walking along, you know what I'm saying? It, you saw those pictures and, and they'd be on review. That is where I stayed, right far what was called the Dusendikes at the time. And what would happen is, is that that big park, if you will, was basically an airstrip. But what they would do is fill it with water so you wouldn't recognize it as an airstrip. And then they would let the water off, drop the planes in. And from our Caserni, or from our place where we stayed, there were underground tunnels that literally led all the way over to that. And so he never had to go above ground. He could stay underground. He was protected. And it was, I mean, just all kinds of different uh, tunnels and things which could be taken to find their way over there. Now, again... That's where I stayed, and, and, and in that case, we had a lot of dignitaries that would come to our facility. It was kind of a popular facility. It was a one that was kind of historical, and so a number of them would come. And uh, I remember especially one time, uh, uh, that I mean, a tremendous amount of effort went into receiving this particular lieutenant general. Now, lieutenant general is somebody that has three stars on their on their uh, jacket or on their uniform—three stars. I mean, one more star and they are the man. I mean, they're the general of the army. You know what I'm saying? So three stars is pretty far up there. It's a, it's a really, a, a really important position. High, uh, influential position. Every vehicle was being inspected and washed. The radio room, the combo room where we were, was gone over with a fine-tooth comb. I mean, every one of the barracks was getting white glove tested, and he and was ready to meet this military giant. I mean, your shoes had to be perfect, your uniform had to be creased, everything had to be just right for this guy. This was one of the highest-ranking officers in the entire army, and he was coming to our base, and he was going to probably inspect our facility, we thought. Our actual, our area where I worked. Now, I was just a private at the time, but they wanted to kind of a, uh, to give a little picture of what went on and have opportunities to, for the general uh, to, to see things. And so I was picked for the detail to stand uh, just in the commo room at attention as the lieutenant came in, the lieutenant general, mind you. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but for me, that was a great honor. The honor of getting to meet a lieutenant general. The honor of getting to meet somebody that had so much influence. And I remember still him walking in, and he kind of looked me up and down. He looked around the commo room, and he and 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 I talked to him. No, no, he talked to me. He asked me a couple questions. That's how it really went. Uh, excuse me, lieutenant general, I have a few questions for you. That's not how it went. Let me tell you that. I was just paying attention, you know, uh, at ease. You're like, it, uh, you know, you know how that goes. And so, I mean, to tell you, it was something. He's asking me questions. I got a chance to talk to a lieutenant general. And man, it was thrilling. It was unbelievable. What a whirlwind. What fanfare. Lieutenant general, I can understand it. President of the United States, I can understand all the fanfare. I can understand the angels, the shepherds, so to speak. I can get it. I got it. But what? This is just a baby. A poor family in a stable. A poor family that has a child. And all of a sudden there are angels and there are shepherds and there are wise men. I mean, what's the big deal? Why do we still celebrate his birth after 2,000 years? I mean, why are we all assembled even this morning in recognition of this particular little baby that was found in a manger? Why? Well, first of all, he was, conceived, he, was, he was conceived supernaturally. Do you know that? It's an amazing thing, really. I mean, you think about it. I mean, why all the fanfare? Why, why, what's the big deal? Why all the fuss? Because he was conceived supernaturally. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Supernatural conception. This wasn't normal. This was abnormal. This was not the way it works. This was supernatural. It's amazing. It is how God works though, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, But while he, Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. What he's saying is, don't you worry about a thing. Oh, I know you're going to take some flack. I know you're going to take some heat. I know it's going to be difficult. But you don't have to be afraid that she's been unfaithful to you. You don't have to be concerned that she's been immoral in any way at all. Don't be concerned about that. Don't be afraid of that. Why is that? Well, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It's of me, Joseph. I made this happen. No other man made this happen. I made this happen. So, as we look at Jesus Christ, we note that he was conceived supernaturally. Not only that, but he was called the Savior. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Back there uh, in Luke chapter 2 again. The word Savior just means one that saves or preserves. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter 2 verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, I understand that if you go back to the book of Judges, that the Lord gave them saviors and the word is used there. I understand that. But don't confuse those men, those men that were saviors, those ones that stepped in and saved or preserved their people back in Judges as the same kind of savior that Jesus was. Remember, none of them was supernaturally conceived. They were just mere men that God used to save his people, to preserve his people. But this is the Savior. I mean, this is Jesus Christ. He was considered special. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Hey, why all the fuss? What's the big deal? Why all the fanfare? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ was conceived supernaturally. Because Jesus Christ was called the Savior. Why? Because He was considered special. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And this is someone that is considered extremely special, unique, very different from all others. Why all the fanfare? He wasn't like any other man. He wasn't like any other person. He was special. He was unique. He was different. He was conceived supernaturally. He was called the Savior. He was considered special. Not only that, he was confirmed superior. Confirmed superior. Look if you would over in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. There in the passage it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. I'm going to tell you something. That's important. It's important. Not just a young maiden, a virgin. It's important. I mean, she'd never been with a man. That means that the only way this could have possibly taken place or happened is that it be supernatural, be of God. And by the way, it's not happening anymore. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, verse 23, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isn't that wonderful? God with us. Hey, why all the fuss? Why all the fanfare? Why the big deal? I'll tell you. Because Jesus Christ was supernaturally conceived. He was called the Savior, considered special, and He was confirmed superior. He wasn't a mere man. He was God in flesh. Now, now we get to the message. Now we get to the message. Because Jesus is unique, special, and different. Because he's not a mere man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean then to us? Well, there's a couple of things I just want to share very briefly. So let's have a very quick word of prayer, and I'll give you those three things. Father, we come to you. We need you. We love you. We ask for your leadership. Father, speak to our hearts. And Lord, in this Christmas season, may we never forget who he is. And what that really means to, to each of us. We need you today. And Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, have never received and accepted Him as Savior. And Lord, may they do so today before it's eternally too late. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So what does all that mean to you and I? Well, first of all, here's what it means. Jesus Christ being Emmanuel, God with us. He had been promised for years after year after year. What does it mean? Number one, what the Bible says is true then. What the Bible says is true. He wasn't a mere man. He was God-man. He wasn't just a normal person. He was God. What that means to us then is that the Bible is true then. The very Bible that has consistently and continually said, there's coming a Savior. There's coming a Savior. He's going to be God in flesh. He's going to be born here. He's going to live like this. He's going to die like that. It's all true then. The Bible, what it says, is true. The same God that created the universe is the same God who penned the commandments with His finger on Mount Sinai. Those commandments found their way into a book. And that book, we call it today, the Word of God. And that Word of God contains the very mind of Jesus Christ, the very mind of God today. Look, if you would, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. How foundational is this truth? How necessary and needful is this reality? That what we hold in our hand called the word of God is indeed God's word. And what it says is true. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That word inspired in the passage means God breathed. God breathed. The very words that we hold in our hand, bound in this book, are none other than literally God's Word to us. They're God's Word. They're Him. He wrote them. He penned them. Sure, He used human instruments, but it was God's Word, not mere man. It wasn't simply an idea. It wasn't just a philosophy that was put on paper. It was God's Word. God's Words. Not only did God inspire them or breathe them, but He preserved them in perfection. Throughout the, the ages. I mean, he, he gave them to us perfect. And He preserved them perfect to this very day. Look, if you will, in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. What we're going to find in this particular passage is that that there's an error sometimes from the from human thinking or perspective. We get the idea and we say things like, well, God gave us a perfect word in, in the inspired word of God. But then he entrusted it to mankind who has corrupted it through the years. Yes, there have been men and there have been others that have corrupted the word of God through the years. But may I say, it has never been man's job to ensure that the word of God is without error. Watch what it says here. Chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth. Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth. Purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Do You realize the New Testament hadn't even been penned yet. You realize that the, a lot of the Old Testament had just, some of it had already come into place and there were other books that would still be penned after that. The fact is today is that the Word of God that we hold in our hand, it is God's Word. And He's the one that said, He'll keep them. He's the one that said, I'll preserve them. From this generation, forever. From this generation, forever. And someone says, boy, man has made a mess of the Word of God. Man has really corrupted it. I'm, I have no doubt that man has done that. We think of Eusebius and we think of others in the, in, in the early church who often would have A number of different translations for the same book would sit down and say, well, that word really means this and this word really means that and this word really means that. And they would go ahead and they'd rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. I mean, Eusebius, I believe, had nine different different translations of the very same book. Now, let me tell you something. They can't all be right. And the fact is today is that we've got a book that God said, I'm going to make sure it's pure. I'm going to make sure it's clean. I'm going to make sure it's preserved. I'm going to make sure that what I have right now for the people of God, you'll still have 2,000, 3,000, and forever. God is the author of the Word of God, and He is the protector of it. The Bible's not just one single book either, by the way. The Bible's actually a collection of 66 books that are bound into one. And those 66 books contain history, poetry, prophecy. They contain wisdom. They, contain, they, they even have various letters that are written if you go into the New Testament especially. Not only that, but these 66 books were written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. That's an amazing thing. They were... From a variety of backgrounds, these authors, or these writers, I should say. They were shepherds and fishermen. They were doctors, kings and prophets, and a number of other types of things. Wait a second. These, many of them never even knew one another. They never even knew each other in that sense. Again, they were written over a period of 1,500 years, by the way. That means that these men that wrote, these 40 different men, could not collaborate. They couldn't compare notes. They couldn't get with one another and say, well, what did you write over here? And what did you write over there? I want to make sure that what I write doesn't contradict what you wrote or what you wrote. They couldn't do that. I mean, 40 different pens that God used, 40 different personalities God used, 40 different men that he used to pen the word of God. And over a period of 1500 years, no collaboration. Not only that, but the 66 books of the Bible were written in three different languages. In the Bible, we have books that were written in the ancient languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Aramaic, excuse me. Listen, it's an amazing thing to think that this book, in its, in its originality, when God had it penned by these men, it was in three different languages. You say, well, that makes it extremely confusing. I, but, no, not that confusing we have it before us today. Because He's promised to preserve it. He promised to keep it. Forty different authors, these 66 books. Fifteen hundred years. In three different languages. On three different continents even. Africa, Asia, and Europe. Even more, this collection of books shares a common storyline. I mean, you take the Bible and you take the 66 books, they share a common storyline. The creation Fall and the redemption of God's people. They have a common theme. God's universal love for all mankind. They have a common message. That of salvation. And that salvation is available to all that will repent of their sin and commit to following the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's there, it's everywhere in the Word of God throughout. In addition to sharing these commonalities, the 66 books contain no historical, no error whatsoever. No historical error. No, no, no contradiction whatsoever. I mean, how is that possible? Someone says, well, I, I believe there are errors. Dig and find them. You say, well, there's a scribal error here. There's a scribal error there. Are you sure that's a scribal error? Maybe God's trying to get you to look a little deeper. God's Word is truly an amazing collection of writings. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to go to any library in the world. Any library in the world. You choose the library and you find 66 books which match the characteristics of the 66 books in the Bible. I mean, choose 66 books that are written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. But remember, they have to share a common storyline, a common theme, and a common message. And they cannot have any historical errors or contradictions. You say, that'd be impossible. Exactly. I mean, the Word of God itself, this book itself, is visible proof that there is a God in heaven. And his this book is His love letter to you and I. And this book is God's Word. And it contains the mind of God today. Because Jesus is unique. Because He's special and different. Because He's not a mere man, but instead, Emmanuel, God with us. It confirms that what the Bible says is true. But not only that, it confirms that we are here by design and not chance. You're here by design and not chance. Take your Bible if you would. Look over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's at the beginning of the Bible. (laughs) I know you knew that. I just thought I'd say that. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we've already established the fact that what the Bible says is true. If Jesus is indeed Emmanuel, then what the Bible says is true. If he's really God in flesh, as we believe him to be, then that means this book we hold in our hand is true. And if the book says then, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, then that means there was no evolution. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. So God created. That's obvious. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But notice what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It gets a little more specific. And I think this is very, very important. The Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by him... Were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All things, excuse me, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Now, I wasn't going to turn there. I've written that verse out, but I do want to note something here right there in the passage so that we uh, can understand the context. Notice in verse 15, it's talking about who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. So when it says, for by Him, then it's still talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say today that Jesus Christ is Creator? That the Word of God clearly identifies Him as the God of Genesis 1-1? Genesis 2, 7 then, that means that if he was the God of Genesis 1, 1, then he's also the God in Genesis chapter 2 when the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There's something unique about mankind. He is a living soul. Animals have souls. They certainly do. There's no doubt about that. They have bodies. They have souls. But may I say, they don't have living souls. We do today. And that means that every human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl, will ultimately spend an eternity somewhere. They will live forever. Because they have a living soul. Because God created... As we mentioned already, Darwin, Darwinianism or evolution is a myth. Darwinism. darwinianism. That might even be better. That's a play on words. Ninny. Darninianism. Okay. All right. Yes, you're very... As the, the coach from the Ohio State Buckeyes would say, you're laser-focused today. Laser. I had a message that was called laser focus. Before I heard him say that, and now that he said it, I can't use it because everybody will think I got it from him. And that ain't no lie. I'm not even lying. I'm not lying a bit. I had it. It even said laser focus right at the top. And I went, chuck it. (laughs) But anyway, we see here that then, then evolution's a myth. It is not real. It didn't happen the way scientists or others would say. And by the way, all scientists don't embrace evolution the billions that are spent on educating our young people each year is wasted teaching a theory that has no real scientific basis. I, mean, I know some of you are going, what do you mean it doesn't have... That's what it's rooted in, the science. No, science says that there's an aspect of science that you have to observe it. You have to be able to recreate it. They, can't, they never saw it. They can't recreate it. They don't even know how it happened. They just keep coming up with more theories. I'll tell you how it happened. Because Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. I'll tell you how it happened, because we know that what the Bible says is true. I'll tell you how how we know what happened, because now we have a book. It describes it. It defines it. It tells us exactly how it happened. God created. That means that this whole idea of natural selection is debunked by supernatural interaction. Listen to me. We are not ancestors of lower life forms. But instead, we are the offspring of human life in a garden. God created you. And God created me. And your life on earth, therefore, has meaning. He created you. He made you. You say, I don't like how He made me. I don't appreciate how short I am, how tall I am, how skinny I am, how... Anyway. I'm telling you today that there are some things that we cannot control about ourselves. There are characteristics and there are qualities about our physical nature or maybe even how we think sometimes in one respect, even though we know that in Christ we can overcome all obstacles. The fact is today is that He made you the way He did. You say, but my eyes, I wish they worked better. My ears, I wish they heard better. I'm telling you today that God made you and you have a purpose, a distinct purpose for existing today. I wish I was better looking. I wish I was more handsome or prettier. I wish, I wish, I wish. Let me tell you, God made you and God created you with a purpose, though. It's not fully appreciated sometimes by His creation. But God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And you know where you find it all? (laughs) In the book that He left us. Well, I'm telling you what, what what an amazing place you and I hold today. I mean, if you're a child of God today, can you you just think with me for a moment what God has done for you and what He is doing for you every day of your life. I know things don't always work out. And by the way, a lot of what we go through is self-induced. We create a lot of our own problems too because we don't adhere to the Word of God. We don't apply the truth of the Word of God. We neglect His book, His Bible, His Word. And we do things our way, and we wonder why it all explodes or implodes on us. But because Jesus is unique, special, and different, because He's not a mere man, but rather Emmanuel, God with us, it confirms that what the Bible says is true. It confirms that we are here by design and not chance. And finally, in conclusion, it confirms that men and women are sinners and Christ alone offers escape. Because Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, because everything in the Word of God is true, because we have a purpose and there is a plan for each and every life. Let me tell you, He left a plan by which mankind who is born a sinner can be redeemed. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way They're Together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I understand grandma is extremely kind, and I know she's good in the sense that she's human, uh, that she's, she's very benevolent, or she's very loving, she's very giving in that regard. But hold on, we're talking about good in the sense of godliness. We're talking about perfection versus humanity. May I say today, there's no one that does good in the sight of a holy God, a righteous God. We're all born sinners, at the very depths of our heart, and the very depths of our being. We can't compare to that. And if Jesus Christ or God is the, the, the epitome of good, then we fall miserably short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thankfully, there is hope for you and I this morning. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's why he came to earth. Well, I understand there's a number of reasons why he came. And I know he wants to be magnified, exalted, and and placed in preeminence in our life. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says that in in, in the book of, 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 uh, um, I just, I had it and then I checked my notes to see if that's where I was going next. But I wish I wouldn't have now. But in the book of Luke, the Bible says in 1910 that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus did that. I mean, he's the savior of the world. When he was born in that stable today, what's the big deal? Why are we making such fanfare? Why is such fuss about a little baby that's in a manger? I mean, it wouldn't have been that extraordinary or out of the ordinary for a poor family just to want a roof over their head. Go to that stable. Oh, thank thank you, Lord, that we have somewhere to stay. Thank you that we're not in the elements. I've got a wife that's prepared to have a child. It is a nice thing to have a roof over our head. It may not be the ideal situation, but it's better than being out there. And boy, many poor people had horrible situations in those days. Many poor people, even like today, find themselves In a dire strait, but may I say today, why all the fanfare? Why the big deal? It's just a poor family having a baby. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. He came, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save that which lost. He is the Savior of the world. He is God in flesh. He's the only hope of mankind today. Go ahead and take Christ out of Christmas. You got nothing. What's the point of a Christmas tree with a little star on top? What's the star mean if Jesus isn't here? What's it mean? It means absolutely nothing. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have turned to our own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. May I say your pedagogy or your pedigree is not going to matter a lick. It doesn't matter where you grew up or how you grew up. It doesn't matter what your gender or what your nationality is. It don't matter what race you are. My friend today, it's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it is nothing else but His blood. His perfection, His sacrifice it will save your soul from a devil's hell. Thank God for Jesus Christ. I mean, why all the fuss? What made this verse so special? Because Jesus Christ was not a mere man, but God in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that just simply means that this Bible, what it says is true today. And that we are here by design, not chance. That men and women are sinners, but Christ alone, or should I say Christ alone offers escape. That's what it means. What a blessing. As we go into this Christmas season, may we not forget who He is. May we not doubt about what He represents. May we not neglect the Word of God. May we not neglect our friends or our family that are lost either. Realizing that really, when it's all said and done, the only real reason for the season is because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why we celebrate it. He came. He came. I love that song. Let's be close. He came to me. One of these days I'm going to sing it. It says, He came to me. He came to me when I could not go to where he was. He came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Do you realize he came to you too? And that's why we celebrate Christmas, because He came and He is God in flesh. May God help us to realize that's part of God's plan and purpose, that every man, every woman, every boy and every girl comes to Jesus Christ because He came for them. If you don't know Him today, I trust to trust Him and receive Him. I trust you'll finally stop trying to get to heaven on your own. You'll finally just throw in the towel and run up the white flag and surrender to Him and say, Lord, I know I'm that sinner. I know I can never please You. I know as good as I am, I'm not good enough. I need You to save me and forgive me today. And if you are a child of God today, may we pick up our Bibles and hold them a little longer each day. And may we do our best to apply them even more so than ever. Realizing that he has a purpose and a plan for us. And it is found bound in this book. May God help us as believers to never forget that he came. Jesus. God.